Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health/podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health/podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. I thank you for tuning in again because we have a wonderful guest today. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Now. He's the CEO of Oyster Point Pharmaceuticals. Dr. Now has been building his career on developing novel, innovative therapies for disease of the eye with over 15 years of experience working with biotech, pharma, and med device companies. Most recently, he was VP of Clinical and Medical Affairs at Optotech. Prior to that, he was Med Science Director at Genentech, working on the development of Lucentis. It's a transformative drug for retinal disease. And Dr. Now has raised more than $150 million in equity for startups such as Genera Corporation, Acuity Pharmaceuticals, and NeoVista Incorporated. He has numerous patents in the space, as well as peer-reviewed publications. And I'm so excited to welcome Jeff to the podcast. Welcome. Well, thanks, Saul. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you, Jeff. Now, what is it that got you into healthcare to begin with? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I started out really, uh, I think, as most young college students do, you know, heading down the pre-med path and, and wanting to go into medicine, just based on my, my love for science. And I loved uh, learning about the human body. I was very into sports growing up, and I loved all the exercise physiology and just learning about the, you know, muscles and bones and things. And so I ended up taking a little bit of a an odd path in that um, I had a, uh, a small class that had an elective in uh, my undergrad, which was in forensic biology. And I ended up working in the medical examiner's office. And within a couple of weeks, I uh, found myself doing autopsies and really being wow. into the sort of, I would say, elbows deep into medicine um, <laughs> and learning about the human body from a different aspect. And that ultimately translated into some work that I did while I was in school and sort of paid my way through school working with the organ transplant team that was often in there and really was into the surgical aspect of medicine. And then when I went off to school, never really thought about the pharmaceutical space or the med, med tech space at all, always very focused on the, the clinical piece of it. 
and for a whole host of reasons that we could probably spend a whole nother podcast on, <laughs> uh, ended up deciding to veer off and, and head down that pharmaceutical path. And first, I think it was it was kind of a patch to figure out where I was going, and it just snowballed, and, I, and I've been here ever since. And you know, I really love being at the forefront and, and cutting edge of developing either drugs or devices, and found myself in, in an ophthalmology for almost my entire career. Amazing. What a winding road, but always very focused on healthcare. So fast forward to today, Jeff, you're working on this exciting project at Oyster. What do you think today is a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda? And how are you guys addressing it over there? Yeah, I think that one of the things that's going to be that's really important is we are kind of in a time right now and I think there's probably a cycle to it if you were to look back through the annals of medicine where we have these bursts of innovation where things really move forward fast. You know, we have CAR-T therapy, we have CRISPR technology. On the mm -hmm. oncology side of things, things are moving so fast and it's really exciting. Usually that's followed by some period, you know, some cooling off period where things kind of slow down a little bit. And then we have another burst of innovation. And, and I think one of the things that, that I think is really important to keep in mind is we have to continue to be innovative and we have to continue to think outside the box. You know, one of the nice things about Oyster Point, you know, we're a venture stage startup pharmaceutical company focused on treating dry eye disease and it's through a real novel pathway. So for years and years, we've had therapies to treat eye, dry eye disease, whether it's over the counter or prescription eye drops, and we're very focused on the topical aspect of delivering medication. Where Oyster's done is really transformative in the sense that we're treating the disease and going through the intranasal route. So mm. a very, what I would say, disruptive and novel approach where we're actually leveraging the body's own parasympathetic nervous system and we're, stim we're doing pharmacological stimulation of the nerves inside the nose which then ultimately result in tear film formation. So it's things like these where for years and years, we've had sort of a stagnation and we've been very focused on attacking a disease in one particular way. And then all of a sudden something changes through innovation and now the whole field shifts. You know, And if you think back to a decade ago, harnessing the body's immune system to go after cancer was always a thought. We always had these ideas. I remember learning about it when I was an undergrad. Mm -hmm. But until recently, the terms CRISPR and CAR-T have not been on everybody's tongue like they are today. And so I think fostering innovation, always looking for new approaches to go after a disease are very important. And I think it's just evidenced by this exciting time that we're in where you know, really the, the treatment field is just really blowing up right now. Yeah, super fascinating. Thanks for walking us through that, Jeff. And what keeps your innovation juices flowing? I think the thing that really keeps me going is, you know, I started out going into medicine wanting to help people. You know, I love the patient contact aspect of it. And if I was to say the one thing that I miss being in industry versus being on the clinical side is I loved interacting with patients and being able to help a patient whether it be just through consultation or whether it be actually delivering a treatment, I really enjoyed that. And so I think that staying on the cutting edge of innovation, you have to keep that patient piece in mind and that patient interaction piece. And you always have to remember 
that if you're doing the right thing for the patient, not only from the standpoint of bringing these novel treatments to the forefront, but also thinking through all the form factors that go into therapy and how patients are receiving healthcare today, how patients may or may not like whatever therapeutic option you're bringing to the table because of the way that they're going to either attain it or ultimately utilize it. And so I think there's ways to innovate around a lot of different aspects of medicine, not just if you're focusing on the actual treatment itself, but how are these patients getting these treatments and how are we keeping them on these treatments? And so I just think that there are so many opportunities to really keep yourself patient-centric focused and innovate around that sort of holistic idea. And that, that's really what keeps me going is working in companies you'd mentioned in my past that I'd worked at Genentech and I worked in this amazing drug Lucentis that literally stopped people from going blind. And so to be able to see that type of innovation come to fruition and see the impact that it has on people takes you back to when you were in the clinic and you, were, you could do something to help someone. And that just feels great. And, and it, that's really what keeps me going. That's awesome, Jeff. And uh, no doubt it, you guys are doing it yet again here with Oyster. Not sure what detail you could go into it, but maybe if you can, dive into some of the things uh, that you've seen early on with this new approach at Oyster for dry eye. Well, so dry eye disease is becoming a little bit more, I would say, uh, at the forefront of people's minds. One of the things that Oyster has benefited from is with the most recent uh, drug approval in the space is Shire's Zydra. And um, they've launched an I Love campaign, which is really all over the TV and in radio ads. And people have seen Jennifer Aniston talk about her eyes. And many of your listeners have probably seen these commercials. And so, you know, the concept of dry eye disease and, and just eye health in general is really taking a big step forward by all of this marketing that's going on now. And this market is really massive. So there's few markets in the pharmaceutical space where you have 34 million patients that are out there with dry eye disease. You have about 20 million of them that have a diagnosis of dry eye disease. So there's a huge number of patients that just are not seeing an eye care provider. And then of those 20 million or so that have a diagnosis, there's literally about less than 2 million patients on prescription medications. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole host of reasons behind that, but it's just a a giant unmet market where there's opportunity for a really good therapy to come to the table. And so what we're trying to do is really bring the therapy to the table that gets at the root cause of the disease and really impacts the disease early on in its existence. And the whole concept of Oyster Point is really by putting healthy tear film onto the eye on a regular basis. So as you and I sit here and we're just sort of breathing in and out of our nose, that airflow going across our nasal cavity causes basal secretion of tear film. And so when we have things like stuffed up noses, we often get dry eyes, a whole host of other things that can cause it. But the one thing to to just keep in mind is really the reason that you and I don't have dry eye disease, although I'm not 100% sure you don't have dry eye disease, (laughs) is we have healthy tear film. And so having that healthy tear film is really the key 
to not progressing down this slope of inflammation and sort of a chronic dry eye disease state. And so what we're doing here is pharmacological stimulation of the trigeminal nerve. It causes tear film formation. And we think that by keeping these patients moist with regards to their cornea over time, will alleviate many of the problems that we see with patients with dry eye disease. And so it's a disruptive approach. No one else has ever gone through the nose to try and treat with a pharmaceutical. And um, it just makes sense from a biological perspective because we're really, we're sort of harnessing the parasympathetic nervous system to do our work. That's fascinating. And how are the results coming out? Are you, are you seeing that it's working? Yeah. So we had some early studies that gave us a glimpse at how well it worked and it was eye-opening, no pun intended, but it, was, <laughs> uh, it really was exciting for us to see that. We actually have completed a 160-patient phase two trial that we'll be presenting uh, in July. And uh, although I won't give away the results, I will tell you that the results are pretty amazing. And um, we're super excited to present it. We think it's going to be a game changer. Really excited about the opportunity to bring another therapy to this patient population because it's just growing. You and I are both sitting here right now, probably looking at a phone or looking at a screen. Yes. Screen time's going up. You know, dry eye disease is not going away anytime soon. And so there's a real need in this marketplace uh, for another therapeutic option. That's awesome. That's so great. Thanks for walking us through that, Jeff. And really neat that you've taken on this, this approach. And as the market sits today, is this something that is also reimbursed by insurance providers? Yeah, so the, the two products that are out there right now, which are topical drops, are reimbursed. Um, we expect that our product, once it gets the market, would be reimbursed as well. In the same way. Yeah. Got it. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, very innovative to think about this. And folks, take a note from Dr. Now here and the things that him and his team have done. There's another way. When you thought that the only way was topical, they found the a different what pathway to have the same result or, or even better. And so um, think about what you could do to approach your problems in a different way and use this episode as inspiration to do just that. What would you say a time when you maybe had a setback? It could be at Oyster. It could be at one of your previous uh, roles and something that you learned from that setback. Yeah. One of the examples that I always tell people is we started a company back in the sort of early 2000 timeframe called NeoVista, which was a, a therapy that was brachytherapy. So we use a very small strontium 90 pellet that was on an applicator. And this applicator was placed through a surgical incision into the eye and held over a neovascular lesion for patients with choroidal neovascularization due to age-related macular degeneration. Mm -hmm. And the surgeon would hold this applicator over the, the lesion for a number of minutes. We'd deliver a very focused dose of radiation, and then they'd take the applicator out and we'd close the patient up. When we were starting the, that process, first of all, this was pre-9-11, before we had a lot of safeguards in place for how radiation traveled throughout the world. But I think we also went into this study as mostly pharmaceutical and medical device folks with no real radiation experience. And so we very quickly underestimated how hard it was to, A, transport radiation, uh, radioactive material throughout the world to do clinical yes. trials. 
all the people that needed to be involved. I had never heard of a radiation physicist before. I quickly figured out who those guys are and what they do. And I think without really understanding what we were getting into, we were pushing forward so fast that we didn't know all the players that had to be pulled together. And so we got ourselves into a situation where just to start a clinical trial, rather than getting one physician under contract, we had a retina surgeon, a radiation oncologist, a medical physicist, a surgical suite, a hospital, the local authority who oversaw radioactivity in the area. You were over your head in just contracts for one center, let alone doing a massive multi-center phase three trial throughout the world. So I think where we failed uh, there or where we made a mistake there is we just didn't get to know all of the intricacies of that particular technology fast enough or early enough to be able to be proactive and plan. So it probably caused us some some delays. Once the machine started moving forward, we got pretty good at getting all those sites up and running and how they were going to work. But I would say if if we had a lot more institutional knowledge beforehand, things would have went a lot smoother moving yeah. forward. That's fascinating. Yeah. And now you've sort of built those learnings into what you're doing at Oyster. And I'm sure the level of due diligence, you took it even to the next level. Yep. Yeah, that's really great, Jeff. Thanks for sharing that. And how about the other side of the coin, right? That was a setback. Tell us about one of the proudest leadership experiences you've had to date. Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the other things, and, and I touched a little bit on it before, was that I feel very passionate about the patient aspect of uh, developing new therapies and, and making sure that you're always doing what's in the best interest and what's right for the patient. And if you sort of live, live by those rules and when you have big questions that you have to answer, if that's always the basis for how you're going to answer those questions, you'll, you'll likely make the right choice. And so one of the things that when I was at Genentech and we were developing Lucentis, there was a cry to use the drug in infants that were born with this condition called retinopathy of prematurity, where they have a blinding condition when they're born. And without receiving therapy such as anti-VEGF therapy, immediately their retina can be basically um, damaged for the rest of their lives. And in many cases, these patients, uh, these very young patients are just uh, going to be blind for the rest of their life. And so the physicians out in the field were using drugs off-label to treat these patients with maybe not the best safety profile behind it, but they were doing the best that they could to help the bit, these babies. And we had this drug Lucentis that we knew could help and has the potential to help but it certainly wasn't approved and it was very risky for the company to go down that pathway, as you can imagine. So I'm going to tell you that one of my proudest moments from a medical leadership perspective ultimately ended in a failure, but it successfully took proposals up to the very highest level within that organization to allow for these babies to get access to the medication. And um, unfortunately uh, for you can imagine legal reasons and uh, some risk tolerance reasons. It didn't move forward, but we were very, very close. It almost happened. And um, that was a, a proud moment for me and the team there, really sort of pushing through when we knew that we were going to face some adversity and trying to get that approved, but trying to do the right thing anyway. That's pretty cool, Jeff. You were sort of at that juncture of your passion for patients 
and also your passion for innovation and pushing the envelope. And you're just kind of in between both. And even though it didn't come to fruition, you were pretty darn close. And the outcome was the right outcome, even though it didn't work out as giving them access to the drug. Yeah. And then I think that that's, it's important. I think it's important for a lot of people to understand the people who work in, in this industry, by and large, they're the same folks that live in your neighborhoods and they have the same level of commitment and concern about really improving people's lives. And, you know, I think there's, there's times when the, the farm industry gets a bad rap for being very focused on profits and finances and things of that nature. But I would say by and large throughout my career, I just always run into people that really just want to do the right thing and really want to bring something to the table for patients. And the ones that are most successful are the ones that really live and breathe that mantra and are focused on on that line of thinking. It's a great message. I agree. You know, I do feel like pharma does tend to get that bad rap, but it's great to hear from folks like you, Jeff, to level set and give people an opportunity to revisit that paradigm. I too have, have met tons of great people in pharma, so I would agree with you. Now, tell us, obviously, Oyster is, is your exciting project. So rather than dive into that deeper, maybe you could just give the listeners some ideas so that they could continue in their innovative pursuits. Yeah. So I think the one piece of advice that I would give to people is never stop thinking about what's next or how you can move forward or improve something. I don't know that you could put a price on momentum. I'm kind of always in awe of some of these folks that are serial entrepreneurs and how they just have that momentum and drive to move forward despite any obstacles that get in their way. And they're always thinking about innovative ways of tackling a problem. So the people who are the most successful have also probably had the most setbacks and the most adversity. And so I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is just continue with that momentum and keep going forward. And, you know, I often tell my staff, you know, when we have certain little setbacks, whether we have comments from the FDA or we have some interesting data that might make us pause for a second, that look, these are the bumps along the road. And at the end of the day, people will look back at most of these projects with 2020 hindsight and just think it just happened and it was just organic the way it happened. But it really is momentum moving forward, overcoming some of these hard times, really embracing the times when you're successful. Just don't stop innovating. We need a lot of uh, uh, really smart minds out there to continue doing what they're doing and bringing new things to the table. You know, I just read an article the other day, it was sort of the, the history of the CRISPR technology. And I was around when there were some setbacks in gene therapy in Philadelphia where a young boy had passed away. I was developing a, a drug that was a small interfering RNA at that time. So we, we felt that pain, but look where the industry is now. And there was a setback there, but we're about to go through sort of a, an amazing and transformational period in medicine. That's amazing. Yeah, what a great message, Dr. Now. And I always think of momentum as well. And you either have forward moving momentum or backward moving momentum. There really is no plateau. I, I'm a firm believer that plateaus are, they don't exist. You're either moving forward or back. And this advice that you've given all of us here will definitely serve as inspiration to keep moving ahead. 
let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine. It's the 101 of Dr. Jeff now. And so we're going to write out a syllabus lightning round style with four questions, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Sure. Awesome. Let's do this. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I think the best way to improve healthcare outcomes, and again, this is this is translates into all areas of life, is is to go out and build relationships and build relationships with your target audience, whether those be patients or physicians, build relationships with those that you do business with, make sure that you're networking. Make sure that you're building relationships where others trust you. You'd be amazed at how many innovative projects come out of two people sitting down and having a coffee and talking about something completely innocuous. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, some transformational breakthrough comes into one or the other person's mind. So build these relationships, foster them. Make sure that you're talking about things that you're thinking about with others to the point that you can. But I think the way that we improve healthcare outcomes really is it is not single individuals, but it is a a massive team of people moving forward. And I benefit from thousands of other people out that have either come before me or are moving in tandem with me. So just holding up in your office is certainly not going to move the needle, not for the patients and and certainly not for your company. It's a great message. What would you say the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid is? I think this is another one that translates to areas outside of medicine, which is make sure that you're listening. And, uh, you know, we're told often from a very young age, like by our mothers, that you you need to listen. But that's not the type of listening that I'm uh, referring to. I'm referring to the step back, allow the people in your organization, allow the patients, allow people to have a voice where they can contribute. They feel like their message is heard before you interject and and give your opinion and allow that team approach to happen by learning how better to just sit back and listen and then to contribute after you've allowed the rest of the group to come to the table. And so I think one of the biggest mistakes or pitfalls to avoid is really to stifle that process and to, as a leader, to be able to step in and say, here's what I think we should do. What do you guys think? That's one of the biggest mistakes I think anyone can make because they're not listening and taking the other inputs and then disseminating those back to the team in a way that, you know, was going to drive things to move forward. So I would say, you know, not listening is one of the biggest mistakes or pitfalls to avoid. Beautiful. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Yeah, I think that one of the ways to stay relevant we touched on earlier is is really to continue to innovate. And one of the nice things that I really love about Oyster Point and, and other companies that I've been involved in is, you know, we're really at the forefront. And with Oyster, one of the beautiful things is it's just disruptive and, and very innovative approach that no one else is going down that path. So we're really at the, at the sort of tip of the spear with regards to leveraging this pathway to treat this disease. And so for us, maybe fortuitous that we're in a really great place to stay relevant in, in that, from that perspective. But I think continuing to innovate, continuing to do the right thing for the patient, continuing to always ask, is there anything else we need to be thinking about is how you stay relevant. 
What's one area of focus that should drive everything in a health organization? I think I already touched on it, which was as a leader, I think it's really important. We often get tied up in the sort of nuts and bolts of day-to-day operations, but I often think that it's really a, a good thing to do, which is to take a step back with your team and make them do something that helps them understand the patients that they're trying to treat, whether that be taking a day off. And for us, we're, we're in the ophthalmic industry. And so, you know, we take them to some of these um, organizations that help people with low vision, having them understand that the, there is a, a person on the other end. So, you know, I often tell my team, look, we have a great drug, but now you have a responsibility and, and your responsibility is to bring this thing to the market. And it's not a responsibility necessarily like in the shareholder responsibility. It's a responsibility because there's literally millions of people out there that need another therapy. That's a great, great piece of advice there. So listeners, whatever company you're in or even as providers, you're at the front line of this. So the reminder is constantly there for you. Take away some time to be able to remind your people and refocus them on the reason why you're doing this, which is the patients. What book would you recommend to the listeners? I may be slightly boring in that I am not a fiction <laughs> reader. Um, I okay. think that's where the science piece comes uh, into play. Uh-huh. But uh, I'm actually right in the middle of a book called 1491 right now, which is huh. um, about the Americas before Columbus came to the shores. I would recommend that by uh, an author by the name of Charles Mann and uh, had just finished up uh, reading, I think it's an older book, but I hadn't seen it when it first came out, a book called Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond, which is a great read as well. Awesome. Some great recommendations. Listeners, you could get all of the show notes, transcripts, links to the, the resources discussed. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash oyster, and you'll be able to find all that there. Jeff, this has been a blast. Uh, love if you could just share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could collaborate with you. Yeah. So I think we talked about a lot of different topics here, but my thoughts that I would share with everyone are just Continue to do innovative things, continue to collaborate, even if you have a product where you think, or a therapy that you think like, okay, we just got to get to the finish line. Always keep thinking about, you know, is there something we're missing? Is there a different way that we need to do this? Pressure test it, poke at it, because you'd be amazed how many things change through the process and don't come out at the end the way that they came into the system. And so continue to innovate. We need innovation continue to work and collaborate with others. And, you know, last but not least, continue to keep that patient-driven focus in mind, not only when you make decisions, but with your company. Keep them focused on the fact that they have a responsibility to bring these therapies to the patient population that's out there. And and there is a, a responsibility that you're not pouring lattes. This is a, uh, a very important task that you're working on. I think just within about a week or so, we'll actually have a Twitter feed. We'll have a, nice. we have a LinkedIn page, uh, OysterPointRx. We also have a website, www.OysterPointRx.com. And you can send us a note through our info section on that page there as well. 
Outstanding, Jeff. This has been a true privilege to connect with you on this, not only the novel therapy, but also your thoughts on on leadership and uh, improving outcomes for patients. Uh, we wish you guys the biggest success and uh, looking forward to checking in again here in the next year or two to see how things uh, are progressing. Yeah, well, we would be happy to check back in and, and let you know how things are going, Saul, and I appreciate you having me on. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.